Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to apart by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and you can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. He is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com and the author of several books, mainly on past presidents. Uh, we'll look forward to visit with Mark. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll visit with Larry as well as Jim McTagg. He is a former Barron's Washington bureau chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries. Uh, his latest, uh, Shake the Money Tree. Very interesting. We'll talk with Jim as well. It is March the 30th, and on this day in 1870, following a ratification by the requisite three-quarters of the United States, the 15th Amendment, granting African-American men the right to vote, was formally adopted in U.S. Constitution, passed by Congress the year before. The amendment reads, The Rights of Citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by a United States or any other state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. One day after it was adopted, Thomas Peterson Mundy of Perth Amboy, New York, New Jersey rather, became the first African American to vote under the authority of the 15th Amendment. In 1867, the uh, Republican-dominated Congress passed the first Reconstruction Act over President Andrew Johnson's veto, dividing the South into five military districts and outlining how new government based on universal manhood suffrage was to be established. With the adoption of the 15th Amendment in 1870, the politically mobilized African-American community joined with white allies in the southern states to elect Republican Party to power, which brought about radical uh, changes about across the South. By uh, late 1870, all former Confederate states had been readmitted to the Union, and most were controlled by the Republican Party thanks to the support of the African-American voters. In the same year, Hiram Rhodes Revels, a Republican from Natchez, Mississippi, became the first African-American ever to sit in Congress. Although African-American Republicans never obtained political office in the proportion of their overwhelming electoral majority, Revels and dozens of other African-American men served in Congress during Reconstruction. More than 600 served in state legislatures, and many more held uh, local offices. However, in the late 1870s, the Southern Republican Party vanished with the end of Reconstruction, and Southern state governments effectively nullified the 14th and 15th Amendments, stripping Southern African Americans of the right to vote. It would be nearly a century before the nation would again attempt to establish equal rights for African Americans in the South. That's the story of, of course, the 16th uh, Amend 15th Amendment to the United States uh, Constitution passed this day in 1870. <clears throat> well, as of Sunday, there are 111 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the county, and the number of uh, hospitalizations is at 13, according to the State Department of Health website. On Friday, Collier County Commissioners voted 5 to nothing to not shut down the county for all but non-essential activity. But that's for now. That could, uh, they could change that even this week, uh, have another vote. Uh, although, you know, the number of deaths actually reduced from Wednesday until uh, Sunday. Uh, so perhaps we've gotten over the curve. Went on a bike ride yesterday with uh, my orthopedic surgeon and good friend, Dr. George Markovich. The streets were empty except for walkers and bikers, pretty much. I would doubt if we over 25 miles, if we have more than 15 or 20 cars, people are social distancing and minding public health warnings here in uh, the P Paradise Coast. The Florida Department of Health reported 704 new cases of coronavirus on Saturday, bringing the total number of active cases to 4,950. Of those cases, 4,768 are Florida residents. There have been 56 deaths attributed to the disease, and 633 people have been hospitalized. In total, 50,000 people have been tested, and 44,000 have been negative. 44,000. So that's just a little bit over 10% who actually, who have had the test. And I'm sure nobody's taken a test just on a whim. I don't think you can. Uh, so they had, had symptoms of some sort, and about 1 in 10 actually had the virus. Uh, 
So speaking at a contentious White House coronavirus news briefing yesterday that involved testy standoffs with multiple reporters, President Trump declared that the peak in the death rate in the coronavirus pandemic is likely to hit in two weeks and said the federal government will be extending its social distancing guidelines through April the 30th. The modeling estimates that the peak in death rate is likely to hit in two weeks. I'll say it again. The peak, the highest point of death rates, remember this, is likely to hit in two weeks. Therefore, we will be extending our guidelines to April the 30th to slow the spread. The president said the White House said that on the uh, White House Rose Garden, saying his earlier hope that the country would be reopened by Easter was just an aspiration. He added, well, I can expect that by June 1st, we will be well on our way to recovery and that a lot of great things will be happening. Well, we've certainly made a big deal about this coronavirus, and putting things in perspective, I saw a video that suggested, statistically, by facts, that it's more dangerous to just go about your life and living in terms of uh, the probability of death in the coronavirus. In fact, in, 19, in uh, 2018, 2,839,000 folks uh, died, there were deaths in the United States, 650,000 of them were from heart disease. Uh, cancer was about 600,000. Now, just think about these numbers. You don't read about this in the paper. We're not worried about having a, uh, a hissy fit about who's dying of heart attacks or who's got cancer. I mean, it's important. If we have family members, we're concerned. Uh, they, it affects each family. But in terms of the news, the news is focused on the coronavirus, and it's especially, I think, uh, crippling to the uh, to the country. I think a lot of this has to do with fanning the flames, against President Donald Trump. They're looking and trying to catch him. I'm talking about the mainstream media uh, trapping him uh, politically. That's what this is all about in my view. I saw a video of a hospital in Brooklyn that had absolutely no activity. And, uh, and apparently, so she was walking around and, and looking at the uh, hospital and very few admittances. People were, uh, you know, just going about their business. Uh, there was apparently a video of hospital in New York. It turned out to be a hospital in Italy. So, again, I may be exaggerating how the mainstream media is, is uh, handling this, but I don't think so. And I think it's all about trying to uh, diminish the effectiveness and uh, the electability of President Donald Trump. Uh, so he said a lot of things yesterday. He said that... Uh, uh, and what he's trying to do, he's trying to balance uh, the, the economic realities and trying to keep the country and in, in, in our economy in a place where it can recover quickly, balance that against the safety and health care needs of people here in the United States. And he talks about these ventilators as being such complex equipment. I talked again with my doctor yesterday. He says, a ventilator is like a bicycle pump that has electricity just keeping it going. <laughs> so it's, he says it's a very simple piece of equipment. And then uh, the president talked about uh, 300,000 face masks going to uh, a hospital, and they've apparently gone from 20,000 need to 300,000 in a week. He said, something's going on here. That doesn't make any sense at all. So, so the suggestion here, of course, is that somebody is either hiding or maybe something more nefarious going on, selling or doing something with these masks. Anyhow, uh, it's, it's pretty tragic, in my view, how this is all being handled. I think uh, we should put more trust in each individual. I know I'm not going to be shaking hands with anybody anytime soon, maybe ever. I mean, maybe this is something that's going to go away, this handshaking business. Uh, but, uh, you know, the people, 30,000 people are going to die from the flu today, from this year. We have uh, Alzheimer's disease uh, in 2018. More than 100,000 folks died of that. Uh, suicide. Uh, nearly 50,000 people died in 2018 of suicide. Where's the outrage about that compared to the few thousand, four or five thousand, have died here in the United States that are from coronavirus? I expect, I mean, we've got the ship coming in that the president went down to Norfolk to see uh, the comfort uh, take off. They got it ready to do this, and it's got a lot of different operating rooms. It's going to be up in New York to take care of people who have acute medical conditions other than coronavirus, which I think is a great idea. Keep keep those folks separated. Uh, President Trump talked about a couple of organizations uh, waiving deductibles and co-pays, which is really terrific. FEMA is up there building beds in uh, the Javits Center. 
uh, I suspect, I really believe that after this is all over, we're going to have a lot of low-priced ventilators en masse, and uh, I suspect also that in New York they'll end up taking those beds down. In other words, a lot of hysteria created by the Democrat Party as well as uh, by uh, the mainstream media. Uh, President Trump said uh, Saturday he won't order a quarantine on New York, New Jersey, or Connecticut, but the government instead is issuing a strong travel advisory on the recommendations of the White House. Uh, and he tweeted a quarantine will not be necessary in that area. He also uh, championed the uh, message of hope that the Navy hospital ship will bring to the people of New York. So that's all good. Pleased to see that. Uh, there's a lot of pork on, oh, I wanted to mention this too. On Saturday, Dr. Vladimir Zelenko reported that he has now successfully treated 699 COVID-19 patients in New York for coronavirus. He reported 100% success using the cocktail of drugs hydrochloroquine in combination with uh, ZPAC or athromycin. Uh, antibiotic to treat secondary infections and zinc sulfate, the Food and Drug Administration on Sunday issued an emergency use authorization for hydrochloroquine and uh, chloroquine, decades-old malaria drug championed by President Donald Trump. So it's getting results. Could be that, uh, you know, now that we can get this, we found this out, it could treat other patients, getting rid of the symptoms, reducing the uh, attack to the lungs, Reducing its consequences, that could be a big, big deal and get us through this curve much more quickly. So the president's really, in my view, balancing the needs of the economy with the needs of our health care. And the, in my view, the mainstream meeting, Democrat Party holding a guillotine over his head coming up to November and the election. Just my view. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees. The goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Gulf Shore Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org.
Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website. Not for this season, because the season's been canceled, but for next year, you go to golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Larry Reed, the president of the Foundation for Economic Education. I should say uh, President Emeritus. Right now, as I mentioned before the break, we have with us Mark Schulman. He's the founder and, and uh, publisher of a terrific multimedia website on history. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So uh, I know you're in Israel right now and uh, probably pretty much quarantined. Well, what's happening over there? Well, like you said, we're quarantined. You're not allowed to go more than 100 meters, uh, which is less than a quarter of a mile from, from your house. Probably about a tenth of a mile, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, you can go at, you can go to the supermarket once a day, and um, pharmacy if you need to, and if you are an essential worker in essential businesses, which are you know things like obviously hospitals, supermarkets, those things, a few of the industries, and also actually the news media. So I theoretically can can move about, but I don't really unless I need to. Oh. That's so interesting. Uh, we, we had a vote five to nothing here in Cuyahoga County that the Cuyahoga County Commission has decided to, I'm going to say, delay any kind of a, a shutdown of the county except for essential services. Uh, how about going to a grocery store? Can you do that? Yeah, they're allowed to once a day. Once a day. I mean, no one's sitting there. There's no police at this point on the corner checking to see whether you've been to the been to the been to the supermarket more than once a day. Yeah, right. I mean, that's not taking place, but. You can see the self-control of the population. You know, yeah. neighbors are are running around the block instead of taking their normal runs. So yeah. You see them passing six times the house <laughs> as they go around and around the block. Well, I'd like um, to underscore what you just said because I see that here in at least where I am, Cuyahoga County, the Paradise Coast. The people are complying. They are volunteering to to step up to the plate and to support the whole notion of distancing, social distancing, and the other things that uh, that are being requested. So. Uh, hopefully this too will pass. So uh, also politically, before I move into the pandemic, uh, some big things are happening in Israel. Yeah, absolutely. The opposition party that had theoretically gotten more, not the party, but the opposition bloc had gotten more seats than Netanyahu's but couldn't form a government, and neither could he. They decided to go into a, a government with Netanyahu, so Gantz and Netanyahu together. The excuse being, of course, the crisis called, you know, by, caused by the coronavirus, which, of course, is the, both the health crisis and, of course, the economic crisis, where the unemployment rate went from 2% to 24% and is growing. Mm. So um, that's, you know, a major crisis. And, of course, no one knows really what the world is going to look like on the other end of this because it's not going to look the same. Right. So. Well, these are political enemies. I mean, how is the government going to run after the, the uh, government is formed? Not, well, it's, 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 well, you know, these, these are enemies, but they're not, you know, political enemies have this strange ability to work together, and in reality, even though the campaign was terrible, uh, the person who was leading the opposition was the former chief of staff who worked under Netanyahu when Netanyahu was prime minister, so they had a reasonable working relationship, mm. and so, you know, there, there seems to be this division that I don't understand, I don't think normal people can, but these politicians manage to to throw fire and brimstone at each other one day and then smile and work together the next day. So It's unbelievable, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. And it's, it's pretty much the formula here as well. So, uh, and then uh, uh, before we talk about coronavirus, uh, North Korea decided to lob off a couple of missiles. Uh, intercontinental yeah, they they've, they've had more tests this month than any other time, believe it or not. The hmm. world is not paying much attention, obviously, because there are other things. Uh, look, you know, we need to understand the fact, or get used to the fact that, that that North Korea is now a nuclear power with missiles that probably can reach any, you know, reach the United States, and no one did anything about it. And I don't know what could have been done. We, we had this discussion over these last couple of years, uh, but except the fact that diplomacy with North Korea has failed, failed once again. Yeah. No. Well, it's certainly it's it's not the area of focus right now. I mean, if if he's going to pull some nefarious stunts and something, uh, you know, where where's the energy uh, to put towards something like this when we've got this coronavirus pandemic going on? No, absolutely not. There's no energy towards anything else in the world. I mean, frankly, most wars have come to a, a sudden, temporarily halt. Frankly, right? Uh, there are ceasefires either 
official or unofficial in most of the hotspots in the world that have been taking place in Ukraine, seemingly in Yemen, although they fired some missiles at, at Syria, at Syria, in Saudi Arabia, uh, in Lebanon, and so, we'll, and it, so we'll see what happens. But right. um, the world is being consumed by a much bigger problem. We realize there are bigger problems than our fellow human beings. Well, there it, it all involves our fellow human beings, and uh, I think right now the president's trying to balance uh, our health and welfare, public health welfare, as well as uh, trying to make sure that the economy can come back. It doesn't just crumble and have to restart. So, uh, what are your thoughts about what's going on? Okay, it's it, it, it's easiest to, easy to say. Well, it's difficult. Let's let's start from, the, from a couple of points. First of all, look the situation. In parts of the United States, is very dire. Obviously, the New York metropolitan area is very dire. It started actually in a place where I grew up in, a place called New Rochelle. Also, for reasons no one knows, it, it came there, and no no of a lot of people who are on respirators or died and everything else related to that. Uh, the problem with this virus that people just don't seem to understand is, is a couple of things. Number one, how fast uh, how fast it manages to circulate. How how easy it is and how infectious it is, and so it's very, very quick, so people get it very quickly. Mm-hmm. Number two, one can argue with the mortality rate. In other words, the numbers seem to vary in the world from from a little under 1% to 3% to 4%, depending on how careful the, the care is and what's available. But what's very clear is that at least 20% of the people who get it need hospitalizations and need ventilators. Mm-hmm. And when you have a virus that moves really, really quickly and 20% of the people need hospitalizations and ventilators, it can overwhelm very quickly the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And when people don't get the ventilators, they die. So not, not everyone who gets the ventilators survives, obviously, but generally speaking, younger, healthier people tend to survive, while older, weaker people are more likely not to survive. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, uh, 20% 20% of the people, young and old, need ventilators as a result of getting this disease. And so when you're talking about huge numbers uh, and people, to in order to live, need ventilators, then you have a health emergency everywhere as you look. Interesting. And any place that's not New York is going to be New York in another week, two weeks, or three weeks. Because hmm. that's the way this thing is, has, has grown. Some places have done better jobs than others at social distancing and closing down restaurants and closing down offices and everything else. And some of them done not so such a good job. And the places that did a good job will see a slower rate of infection and may be able to get ahead of it. Um, but it's a real challenge. Yeah. I mean, death rates in places like Italy have been understated, quite honestly, because they haven't counted. They've been counting only the people who've died in hospitals, and they haven't counted all the people who've died at homes and in nursing homes. It's true, and yet uh, the, the thing, you know, you can, I, I read the story of a, a, the first guy that died someplace, and I forgot where it was, is 89 years old from coronavirus. Well, I mean, 89 years old, that's a good life. I'm, maybe there were... Right, because understand something, yes, but it doesn't only kill 89 years old. You know, it kills 50-year-olds and 40-year-olds as well. Yeah. But yes, the reality is if you get good care, and good care in a hospital with a ventilator and everything else, and if you're young and healthy... You will probably survive, although being on a ventilator for two to three weeks, I understand, is not exactly a pleasant experience. All right. There are almost no other regular diseases that, that make that happen. You don't get, you know, from, from the flu, the average person or 20% of the people don't have to be on ventilators in hospitals. Right. Well, I, that's the, that, the premise of that. I mean, I, I've not seen 20% of the people uh, need ventil- who get the uh, flu have to be hospitalized and be on a ventilator. I have not seen that statistic. Where does that come no, from? No, but 20 percent of the COVID eighteen people do look at look at the look at statistics. Almost everywhere is twenty percent of the people who are um, who have gotten it have to be hospitalized, and usually they get hospitalized in medium condition, and eventually over a couple of days they end up being on a ventilator because it's a progressive disease. And the other problem with the disease is it's not something that passes in two or three days. I mean, I once had the flu, it lasted two days. Right. This lasts, if you get it in a significant way, and not asymptomatic, it lasts two to three weeks at least. Yeah. And so to hospitalize all these people, you know, we have a, we have a hospital system that has been designed to get people in and out as quickly as possible. Right. Which is good in many ways because hospitals are dangerous places, and it's also good to try to keep down the cost, obviously. 
But that's how our whole hospital system is designed. It's not designed for patients to come in for two or three weeks. Right. Well, Mark, I want to continue this conversation. I mean, I need to say I have a little bit different or less uh, austere view of what's going on right now because uh, I think people are dying all the time of different uh, different diseases and different. Well, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll help you understand that a little better in a moment. If you all right, we're going to okay. give your advertisers if there are some left some uh, some airtime here. All right, let's stick around, Mark. We're going to do have some more here. We're going to do about that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. Visit the website naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg, author of Follow the Leader as well as Shake the Money Tree. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. From Israel, I might say. Are you in uh, Tel Aviv? Or? I'm in Tel Aviv, yep. So interesting. And uh, the activity is minimal. planes flying over every 20 minutes. Now they're like three planes a day coming over. Isn't that amazing? Amazing indeed. So, well, you had mentioned that uh, Italy, the statistics there are not accurate, uh, or you think there's more death. Right. They, they unfortunately, there was a study done a couple of days ago of the last month in two of the towns in northern Italy, relatively wealthy towns with older, older inhabitants, and they compared the death rate last year, which was 27 and 31, I believe, in the two, two towns, to the fact that in each of those towns this year there were... Um, 70 or 80 people who had died from, from COVID-19. And, and this is where it gets even more frightening, the overall death rate in the towns during that same period of time was about 250 people who died. Yeah. Obviously, the rest of the, keep in mind that last year there were only 25 people and 31 people who died. So that represents the people who weren't counted as hospital deaths but never made it to the hospital, either died in home or nursing homes or somewhere else. My point being here is people were saying, well, people die all the time. But yes, so in that town, usually on the, during this period of time, 25 people died. Mm-hmm. This year, during the same period of time, 250 to 300 people died. That so is it's not 
normal. Yeah, that's a spike. I, although, I, let me suggest this also. It, it may be unrelated to the coronavirus, or it could be uh, the unintended consequences of the peripheral types of uh, deaths that occur because of uh, anxiety, fear. Uh, you, no, it may, be because it, it may be because there's no room in the hospitals because there's no ability to treat regular people. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the other side of the problem. There's, there's the problem when all the hospitals are dealing with corona because they have to. Um, then if you get something else that starts off as non-critical, you're not going to get the care you need. They're going to tell you, don't come in now, don't have your elective surgery now, or God forbid you have a heart attack and there's no place in the emergency room for you. So that's the other side of this, where additional deaths will take place that won't be corona deaths, but they'll be caused by corona indirectly. Yeah. So the hospital system will, will be overwhelmed almost everywhere is, that there is serious cases of corona. Now, you're aware of this Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, and uh, he treated 699 patients, apparently. I've, heard, I've seen the same thing passed around in every right-wing Twitter person I follow. There's only a few problems with that. Based on that, he's, he's, he has basically single-handedly treated 5% of all the cases in New York in the last two weeks. Does that make any sense? Well, well Literally. This guy, this one guy has treated, uh, you know... I has treated five percent all of the cases in his family practice. He's that's six hundred and ninety nine cases he's he's uh, treated. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So during the period of time, and certainly because because the numbers have only gotten so large in New York in the last three or four days. So if you go back three or four days, he he literally he he literally treated in his little family practice ten percent of all the COVID nineteen cases in all of New York City. All right. So you're uh, what I'm hearing you do. You're questioning the veracity of what of what he's claiming. I am certainly classic. I'm not questioning whether this drug works or doesn't work. I have no idea. I have no basis of knowing whether this drug works or does not work. Okay. What I do know is someone claiming to have treated 699 patients who's a family practitioner, how would, how would he possibly have 699 cases? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. And, uh, I mean, certainly <laughs> a lot of stuff that's published in the mainstream, in, in the media is uh, not accurate. So it is information. I, I, person on the right who I follow on Twitter has retweeted this, this information, and I just I look at the numbers, and I look at the numbers from, let's say, four or five days ago when all of, you know, one of the boroughs of Manhattan, had, Manhattan or Queens or Brooklyn, one of them had maybe a thousand cases, so he, he, he himself single-handedly, not in a hospital, in a private, in a private practice, uh, treated... 80% of the cases. So, Mark, the, the other thing, too, we're, now we're talking about the politics of this, but uh, I saw a video of a, a reporter who was walking around a hospital in Brooklyn where there was absolutely no activity. I mean, it was literally... Uh, yeah, and that was the video from the outside. Yes, it was a video from the outside. Then there was another yeah, video... I saw, that, I saw a local person on the street show pictures of the bodies being taken out of the back of that same hospital. I, so, listen... Uh, let's separate out some things here, first of all. This is not. This should not be. I mean, I don't even understand how this suddenly became a political issue other than the zigzags that President Trump has taken on this. This is not a political issue. Where is, where is the politics here? Uh, I, I don't get it. Well, let's just this take a... Not, hey, listen, I've been talking about this for about six, seven weeks, if you remember correctly. Yeah. Well, that... And, um, the, the the sad thing is, I mean, you, you're aware of the video of the the they claim that the a video in in New York was actually a video from Italy, a hospital, uh, the activity in a hospital. So the mainstream media and the Democrat Party, of course, want to see Donald Trump fail. No, right. no one wants to. Say, uh, yes, yeah, okay. Let's let, let let's separate this out from two parts. Yes, the Democratic Party and many of the people who work for. The media, although they don't get as many views as Fox News does, so I, the media business is a, is a bit n not an accurate thing. But if, but certain news media people who work for news media would very much like to see Donald Trump removed from office. No right. question about that. Yeah. But this has nothing to do with this. This is where some. Uh, this is where I don't understand it. Well, let me let me I explain. I don't get it. He, my explanation would simply be this: is not, that you know, it's not a democratic plot. It's not a plot on the Democrats and Boris Johnson, who now has it. It's not a plot but in Italy. It's not a plot in France. It's not a plot in Israel, which closed itself down with Netanyahu, who was a close ally of President Trump. These are not plots to bring down anyone's economy. I mean, it's the, that's the unfortunate result of it. 
Well, the, the the point that I would make this is no, there there is we all have to deal with this, and it is a it is a pandemic, and it's a human tragedy right now, economic and uh, healthcare tragedy. Uh, but on top of that, what I'm suggesting to you is that uh, the D Democrat Party, as well as the mainstream media, is using this as a as a tool to to uh, criticize and find fault with the president. Okay, listen, I don't think they have to find look. I don't think they're using it as a tool. Yes, they're criticizing the president. The Democrats, are, you know, that's what the job of the Democrats are, to criticize the president. They're the opposition party, aren't they? Right. And there's much to, there's much to criticize in terms of his first saying it wasn't a big deal, and it is a big deal. There are a lot of things to criticize. They can criticize lots of people, but, but that should not take away from the actual facts here. The Democrats are going to criticize the president. The Republicans are going to criticize the Democrats. Do that all you want, as long as you pass whatever bills together and you work on a bipartisan agreement. Right. The reality is that it has nothing to do with the facts on the ground at this point. And even, look, President Trump yes, last night came to the conclusion that, yes, this is worse than he thought, and yes, there's no chance of opening up for Easter. We'll think about April 30th, and we don't know what's going to be after April 30th, to be honest. And he said that. He doesn't know. Right. That's realistic. That's the, that's the facts. That's, a, that's good leadership. To do with Democrats or Republicans or anything else. So, Mark, that, I've always... I was, this is a horrendous... Uh, Human blow, and it's a horrendous, horrendous blow to the economy. Yeah. So listen, there's I no yeah. ways of, there's no two ways about it. The world is not going to look the same after this is over, and it's it's a, a blow to the economy both in the app in the specific sense of all the people who are unemployed and everything else like that. But it's also a blow to the supply chains, to the international travel, to all the things that we considered part of day to day life in the 21st century is all changed radically. Absolutely. Not I to mention other things. If you own real if you own office real estate in Manhattan, I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to be your banker right oh now. Oh my goodness. So lots of companies aren't going to go back to working in offices now they found out people are are doing quite well working from the home. Uh, there's so but, many so many residual uh, effects of this mark. Unfortunately, as usual, we've run out of time before we've run out of issues to talk about, but I've genuinely appreciate I do want to make this one comment. Uh, Tom Coburn passed, a medical doctor yeah, from Oklahoma did. and uh, what a great man he was in my view and he hated the uh, waste in in our government and uh, there's so much of it and of course we're going to see we're seeing it in this 2.2 trillion dollar bill as well, but irrespective, I do want to just I don't even know what's in it, to be honest with you. I don't think anyone still does. So. <laughs> but hey, I do want to give this tribute to Tom uh, Coburn. Hey, listen, Mark, genuinely, I hope everything goes well for you and Israel, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. A pleasure. Have a great week, Bob. You, stay you, healthy. Stay indoors more than you can, as much as you can. All right. Thank you, too, Mark. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the uh, Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. 
to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. Well, of course, that's after the pandemic. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of a terrific organization. It's called the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you, Bob. Uh, uh, We have the uh, sound problem again. I'm straining to hear you, but I'll do my best. Well, thank you for that. I just potted up the things. So let's see if this works a little bit better. In any event, tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay, you're sounding much better now. Uh, the Foundation for Economic Education is an educational organization devoted to uh, acquainting young people of college and high school age with ideas of individual liberty, free enterprise, private property, uh, limited government, and personal character. And we do that through a very vibrant website at fee.org, and uh, online videos and uh, curricula, as well as programs, seminars, and conferences all over the world. Yeah, terrific organization. If you have a young person in your life, uh, expose them and, and show them the FEE website, fee.org. So, Larry, uh, you, you wrote a, a virus worse than the one from Wuhan. That got my attention. Tell us about it. Okay, yeah, I've noticed as the uh, crisis proceeds that uh, there are some people who are using it uh, to advance a larger agenda, Uh, and specifically in the article you refer to, I talked about socialists. Uh, They've been very outspoken in saying that, uh, you know, we need more government, and this uh, virus pandemic proves it, but they don't want uh, pandemic behavior from the government just in the temporary short term. Mm. They're advocating it uh, permanently uh, and across the board. In fact, I cited several examples. Uh, uh, Ross Barkin in City and State magazine uh, argued that the pandemic crisis is an opportunity uh, to do everything from eliminating profit in health care and turning the whole business of health care over to the government but uh, so that we can get it free, he says. Yeah. <laughs> but also, uh, he thinks it's an opportunity for government to uh, take over the utilities. I mean, can you imagine that, to, to, to argue that, uh, you know, we have an illness in the land, so let's seize the power company. Uh, but, and he goes on to advocate for a universal basic income, and uh, as does Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and uh, it, it's just really absurd that some of these people are saying, wow, here's our chance to put the government in charge of everything uh, and for all time, not, not just as a temporary measure. Yeah. Uh, and I'm concerned about that because if we come through this crisis with the government that uh, 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 dominates our lives in a permanent way more than ever before uh, or bankrupts the country through its crazy spending, uh, we will look back and think that the virus itself was the least of our troubles. I couldn't agree more. You know, that's one of the abiding concerns I have through this entire thing, as we're seeing now, and I think for good reason. The government is asking to social distance and so forth. We're considering here, here in Collier County shutting down all but essential businesses. I mean, that's an amazing amount of power for elected officials to take. I mean, we're in a crisis right now, but how willing are these elected officials going to be uh, to give up the power uh, that they've attained through the coronavirus? Yeah, you know, you look back in history uh, at some of the great men and women uh, who held political power. I, I think the ones I admire the most are the ones who exercised it with restraint when it was needed and were quick to abandon it when it was no longer needed. I mean, we think of George Washington uh, as one of our great presidents, and actually his presidency was sort of uh, average, and on the battlefield he lost more battles than he won. But the thing that really makes him uh, stand apart from other people was that when he had an opportunity to seize uh, power, uh, when in fact uh, most Americans might have uh, supported him, uh, he declined it. And when the job was done, he went back to the farm. And that's what makes him so unique in history. And uh, earlier you have a similar example in Marcus Tullius Cicero in ancient Rome. Uh, He was given total power to deal with a... uh, a violent insurrection, and he quickly 
uh, uh, ended it, and and in the face of all the power that he was given, he gave it all back to the people. And when his one-year term was up, he retired because to him, things like liberty and normalcy were far more important than the accumulation of concentrated power. Yeah, and and it's so important. And here's the thing: as you point out in your column. If you want to be a socialist, if you want to live in some sort of a, a commune, um, you can. You're free to do that in a free society like we have. But if you uh, have centralized government and, and you have a socialist government, you can't go. You're a part of it, and there are no choices. You, you're stuck with it unless you move out of the country. That's right, and there's actually nothing preventing socialists right now from coming together and uh, voluntarily practicing socialism. They could. They could willingly and of their own accord put all of their earnings into a common pot and then redistribute it equally. Uh, they could vilify anybody who tries to uh, uh, make a few bucks by uh, serving other people and creating wealth, the kinds of activities that they, they seem to be so fond of uh, doing. But, of course, not a one of them are doing it. Uh, the whole idea of socialism, and this explains the inherent hypocrisy of its advocates, the whole idea is not to freely practice what you preach. It's to use power to force others to practice what you preach. Well, we've seen that with Bernie Sanders. And I just finished a book called uh, The um, Profiles in Corruption about the candidates, the Democrat candidates, and, and how they behave versus what they've said in office and elected office. It's really scary, Larry. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it, it really is. And uh, hypocrisy among socialists is quite commonplace. Bernie Sanders used to rail against... <laughs> Uh, millionaires until he became one, and now he only rails against billionaires. <laughs> and of course, if he became, if he ever figured out how to be creative enough to become a billionaire, he'd stop criticizing them too. I think so. Again, Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Again, if you have a young person in your life, fee.org, F-E-E.org, check it out. Larry, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Jim McTagg. He is an author of some great books. They are murder mysteries. The locus uh, location of the, of the uh, is Washington D.C. So it, it, they really are well written. It's called uh, "Shake the Money Tree." We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Visit the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Jim McTagg. He is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, and he's also the author of a couple of, well, several books. Uh, his latest two are novels. One of the first is Follow the Leader, terrific read, and its sequel is called Shake the Money Tree, terrific reads. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure, Bob. I'm looking out my uh, window at home. I'm on the, uh, I live three miles from Reagan Airport uh, along the Potomac River in Alexandria, Virginia, and uh, I'm on one of the flight paths to the airport. And when the planes take off, it's very noisy. You know, what the direction of takeoffs and landings depends on the uh, wind uh, up or down the Potomac River. Right. And uh, for a month now, uh, there are no planes. <laughs> it's uncanny. Uh, the world has become silent. So uh, uh, how, how the world changes so rapidly. And uh, I'm thinking, here we are in the middle of a... Uh, controversial, you know, presidential campaign. We have the parties totally, you know, still divided, a, a divisiveness uh, that we see in few times in American history. Right. And, and suddenly you pick up a newspaper and there's no mention of the presidential campaign at all. Uh, the contender, Joe Biden, has, has uh, become a, an obscurity. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't know where he is. Uh, uh, he, he's really... Um, a non-entity in the middle of this uh, coronavirus epidemic. Uh, and uh, yet, I think the president had a bad week uh, last week hmm. because uh, even with J Joe Biden out of the picture, some recent polls show that the uh, that Biden and uh, Trump are probably running even right now when the president had an advantage. So, you uh, know, the, I, I just discount... It's not a disaster. Yeah. Because, um, uh, the public has short memories, and uh, these polls are like imperfect indicators. Yeah. Uh, but, but I, I think he had a, he had a bad week, and he's trying to correct that this week. Well, so let me, uh, let, I want to move over to Biden because you're right; he is absent. His absence is conspicuous on the airwaves. Apparently, he's held to stream some uh, things from his basement. Uh, updates and uh, something less than a thousand people actually got and, and watched watched this thing. My my point is this: I think the Democrats are getting very nervous with him as the candidate. It just makes me wonder, and I think the Democrats are up to this. They they could actually uh, decide to change candidates. I don't know. They couldn't do it legally, but uh, I know they could probably pull it off. Yeah, you know, it's funny you should say that. My world has become very circumscribed because of the uh, social distancing. So, you know, I, I'm not running into this, the kind of sources that I usually do. Yeah. Uh, having said that, uh, last week, Tucker Carlson suggested on his television show that Cuomo might end up replacing Biden as a Democratic nominee because um, Cuomo's been getting a lot of television airtime yep. because of the uh, the uh, what I call the Wuhan plague. Right. And his his poll ratings, he was very unpopular among both Democrats and Republicans in New York State up until, until this virus hit with a vengeance there. Uh he is projecting uh, a good generalship, and so among Democrats, his uh, approval rating is soaring, not so much am among uh, Republicans. Well, that's right. So, um, uh, I uh, was talking at a distance to some neighbors last night, very lovable neighbors who are uh, left-wing crazies. I have, I have friends who are right-wing crazies and friends who are left-wing crazies. I, I try to be clinically detached. But uh -huh. anyway, the topic of their conversation is uh, Biden is a terrible candidate. He's a gaff machine. Uh, you wonder if he has all his marbles. Wouldn't it be great if Andrew Cuomo, if, if Biden graciously dropped out at the convention and uh, told all his delegates to support Andrew Cuomo? So I mention that not because I think it's credible, but because I see this despair among the Democrats uh, about Biden and that, um, you know, they think 
he doesn't have much of a chance of uh, defeating Trump come November. Oh, see, so you just turned the light on for me when you said when he if he bows out, the perfect time to do it would be at the convention before the first vote. That would drive them into a situation that could lead to Cuomo's nomination and uh, for the party. But otherwise, I mean, they're stuck with what they've already got right now, which is if Biden decides he wants to run, he's got the votes to win. Uh, yes, he, he has the votes to win the nomination, but the um, uh, it's you know it's probably people holding their nose and voting for him because uh, you know his serial gaffes on the campaign trail are even having uh, uh, Democrats uh, wondering as you know as my neighbors uh, uh, would indicate uh, that uh, you know whether or not he has enough marbles to run the country. And uh, they're not confident <clears throat> that he does. No. I mean, these are people who have a visceral dislike of Trump. They hate the president. Yeah. And yet uh, uh, they're, they're, you know, they, they see real problems with uh, Joe Biden because of his uh, erratic behavior on the campaign trail. Yeah. Well, he's, he would make, as long as they can keep him alive, keep his heart working, he'd be the perfect lapdog for the people in the back room. Uh, to run the government, I'm talking about the Democrat Party. But aside from that, I mean, he he he, he has serious problems. How about this uh, sexual predator stuff that's coming out too about uh, Biden? That won't go away. Mainstream media is not covering it, but she continues to be vocal about what happened in 1993. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, I think it's because the coronavirus is pushing everything off the front page. Uh, I think uh, President Trump has lowered the bar f uh, regarding uh, sexual predators. <laughs> His record is not pristine. So, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the left-wing interest in the press, the press in general, may ignore that. Uh, yeah. It won't go away, but it won't uh, mount to the front page. Now, uh, one problem for Trump, if you believe in history, is that if there's a deep recession, it's very, very hard for the president in a first term who has a recession to win re-election. Yeah. And uh, there's only one president since the beginning of the 20th century who has done that. That was William McKinley mm -hmm. in 1900. Good president, uh, by the way. Very good president. Yes. But recession losers, uh, George H.W. Bush, mm -hmm. Jimmy Carter, mm -hmm. Herbert Hoover, and William Taft. Uh, but past is not always prelude, number one. Uh, number two, uh, we are in a war, and you know I'm reminded that in a war, at the beginning of a war, uh, our government especially makes us all kinds of blunders, um, and really is uh, can be accused of uh, mass stupidity because of the bureaucracy. Uh, they're not accustomed to fighting in the past. So uh, I, I was thinking Rick Atkinson wrote a book called An Army at Dawn, The War in uh, North Africa. And he, had, he recounts how when we sent our t tankers out to do battle with the uh, Germans for the first time, uh, our supply people inadvertently gave our tankers uh, the uh, shells and powder that were used in uh, military exercises. Uh, so, so they were completely worthless. And, of course, our tankers... Uh, we're obliterated. Wow. Uh, well, you know, what uh, happens is, you know, you have a series of uh, misfortunes like that, and a great, great generals begin to emerge, you know, great leaders, and, and, and then they organize the power and the gifts of our country, and, and they attack. Yeah. I think that'll happen here, too. We're going to have stumbles early on. Uh, we already see a, a great developments like... Uh, I read that we have now a test for coronavirus that takes five minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the, the shelves. So uh, um, my point, again, being Trump had a, I think he had a really bad week last week because some of the statements he made and some of his tweets, um, but that can be forgotten as we move forward and we have some positive surprises. There you go. Well, and uh, I will say this, if we have to if we go into a deep recession, would you prefer to have Joe Biden or President Donald Trump lead us out of the economic uh, malaise? I 
I'll choose Trump. Uh, Jim McDagg, again, the author of, uh, well, Follow the Leaders, the first book, but the second one is Shake the Money Tree. Great reads. It was set in Washington, D.C., and Jim understands what's going on in D.C. and includes it in his novel. Jim, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. Thank you so much for joining us. Tomorrow, we've got great guests lined up. I hope you join us as well. Make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are, and stay safe. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com.